In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are gathered today to celebrate two occasions simultaneously. The first reason, the most important reason, to gather this evening is to celebrate the life, witness, and ministry of St. Thomas, one of the twelve disciples, and the one who unfortunately was nicknamed Doubting Thomas. The second reason we are here is to celebrate the anniversary of my ordination, which occurred last year, today, in this very space. It is an old and venerable custom that on the anniversary of your ordination, you say the Eucharist in thanksgiving of your call and to remind you why you serve God and his church. St. Thomas is one of the better-known saints. While he doesn't quite have the status of Saints Peter, James, and John, we know quite a bit about Thomas from both the Gospels and the early records of church history. Thomas is portrayed in the Gospels as someone who is practically minded, There are times that he comes out and says exactly what we, or perhaps the rest of the disciples, are thinking. Thomas, in one instance, displays astonishing courage. When the disciples are puzzled, perhaps aghast is a better word, that Jesus is going to return to Judea, where he had just been threatened with being stoned for blasphemy, and Jesus is wanting to go back to, uh, to go see Lazarus, who has died, Thomas is the only one of the disciples who is recorded as showing courage and faith in Jesus and is willing to die with him. Later, when Jesus is with the disciples, gathered in the upper room, celebrating the Passover just before Jesus' passion, it is Thomas who stops Jesus when he is talking about going and preparing a place for his followers. And Thomas says with a hint of desperation, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus' response is one of the most beloved in Scripture. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And of course, there is the famous, or perhaps infamous, episode that lasted about a week or so in the Gospel of St. John, when Thomas was not with the rest of the disciples on Easter Day evening, and missed the appearance of Jesus. He famously retorted that he would not believe that Jesus had risen until he had placed his fingers in the nail scars and his hand into Jesus' side. And I think we are sometimes a little unjust to Thomas in that episode. What if everyone else who is a friend of yours tells you that something extraordinary has happened, but you missed out? I think we can all stand and give all stand to give Thomas just a little bit of grace on that account. And I think we also need to remember that the rest of the disciples 
Well, they didn't believe either until they had seen the risen Lord. But what has happened with Thomas is that we have let one little incident cloud our entire perception of who Thomas really was. And in that, we have neglected all that Thomas did after the resurrection and the records that we have in Holy Scripture. Instead of seeing an apostle as someone full of faith, whose life is charged by the power of Jesus, we tend to end the story of Thomas with this doubting that he may have experienced. Thomas, after the resurrection, took up the mission and followed the Great Commission as well as, perhaps even more so, than many of the disciples. While many of the disciples and apostles either stayed in Judea and Palestine or moved west into the heart of the Roman Empire, Thomas took a different route. He went east into deserts and lands difficult to cross. Eventually, Thomas ended up in India, and some say that he may have even traveled as far as modern-day China as one of the first missionaries to the East. (coughs) From the records that we have, Thomas arrived in India around 52 AD, about 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus, and he was martyred about 20 years later, around 72 AD. It is believed that part of his travels was taken via ship, and that the Ancient spice and silk roads also provided Thomas safe passage. When he arrived in India, he established himself near Kerala, and much like St. Paul, began to plant churches in that region. We believe that there were about seven churches or so planted by Thomas right there. Of those seven churches... Three are still alive and vibrant congregations today. And that makes them some of the oldest churches in all of Christendom. Thomas was eventually martyred for his faith and for the work that he was doing. According to legend, King Mesdios became quite angry with Thomas after his wife, Queen Tertia and his son and a few more relatives and some friends all converted to Christianity. Thomas was taken outside the city wall and was killed by soldiers loyal to Mesdios who stabbed him to death with their lances. Because the churches he started survived, we have records of who the succeeding priests deacons, and even who some of the congregants were. This brings us today, well, or actually in reality, to a year ago today. A few months before today, one year ago, the Right Reverend David Reed, Bishop of the Diocese of West Texas, emailed all of us who were candidates for ordination to the priesthood 
to begin scheduling our dates. One of the bishop's requests was for us to submit three dates that we would prefer to be ordained on. And he gave us a timeline, you know, it has to be before this date, but not after that date. My first choice was the Feast of St. Thomas, and that is indeed what happened. Now, you may be wondering, of all days, why the Feast of the Doubter? Why the Feast of someone who didn't believe in the resurrection until after he physically saw the risen Lord? Well, I have a few reasons that I consider good answers. One thing I could say is that it was important to me, that particular date, because there's two churches that mean much to me, and both of those churches have St. Thomas as their patron. The Thomaskirche in Leipzig, Germany, where Johann Sebastian Bach spent the longest period of his career as the church musician and organist there. The other is St. Thomas Church, Fifth Avenue, New York City, where my beloved mentor, Jerry Hancock, was organist and choirmaster for about 30 years. Each, Bach and Hancock, are buried in the chancel floors of their churches. Bach in Leipzig, Uncle Jerry in New York City, something that has meant much to me on a deeper level. I could give another reason, perhaps slightly more flippant, that I wanted to be ordained before Christmas so that this parish could have a true Christmas Eucharist. And indeed, my very first Eucharist was to preside over our Christmas Eve services last year. But perhaps the most honest reason, the deeper reason, is because deep inside of me, I think of all the apostles, I identify with Thomas the most. I try to be practical. I try to be courageous and stand up to injustices I see in the world or to help people who are truly suffering. I try to live out my life demonstrating the love of Christ. But all too often, I'm also like the Thomas who has his doubts and his deep anxiety deep soul-searching, and sometimes I question things that I know to be true, and much like the father in Mark who cried out to our blessed Lord, I say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And Thomas, when he saw Jesus after the resurrection, had a quick reconversion to faith, and he exclaimed, my Lord and my God, and in doing so, is the only one of the apostles who is recorded as making that very powerful and yet very simple statement of faith.
All of us can learn from St. Thomas. And all of us can learn from people who we witness struggle and wrestle and seek to understand not just the Scriptures, but the vast expanse of God's infinite love for each of us. Wrestling with your faith, wrestling with what you believe, is not weakness, nor is it a lack of trust. It is the way we refine and we prove our own faith. And we also learn from it. The old collect for today from the previous prayer books alludes to Thomas's doubt as being, and this is a quote, for the greater confirmation of the faith. That is, in some ways, because Thomas's doubt is recorded and his faith is also strengthened, it is and it was and it will be beneficial for the church. I think Thomas's example and our Lord's merciful gentleness with Thomas show that Jesus always meets us where we are even in doubt and uncertainty. We, for our parts, must be willing to be shown, willing to move from having unfaith into living into our faith. We must always, with great humility, look for our Lord, working in this world. And like Thomas, when we see the evidence of that working, say, my Lord and my God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.